in all of Scripture was said of King David. In 1 Samuel 13, 14, the Lord said about David that he was a man after God's own heart. Think about what a statement that is. That David's heart beat with God's heart. That God's desires were David's desires. And what, a, what an amazing thought that is. But then we say for a moment, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. How could a man after God's own heart sin like David sinned? How could a man with God's heart commit adultery and murder and cover it up in the way that he did? And we, we say to ourselves, it doesn't add up. How could God have said that about David knowing the sins that he would commit? And I think the answer to that dilemma is this. When David faced the full enormity of his sin, it broke his heart like it broke God's heart. I think that's the answer. The Bible says that uh, God was displeased about what David had done. And when David saw that and began to realize the enormity of what he had done, he became displeased as well, and his heart was broken. And the reason that David was a man after God's own heart is that when he realized his sin, he became a broken man. Did you know the Bible teaches us that God highly esteems brokenness in sinners? One of the great verses in the Bible is Isaiah 66, 2. Would you join me and let's read it together. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The word contrite in Scripture often means to be broken. It was used of a broken bone that has become weak, shattered, and devastated. And God loves to see that in sinners. He loves to see that our sin breaks our heart just like it does His. In fact, do you know without this, we cannot be forgiven? There's a little principle that I want to drop into our minds this morning that we're going to see fleshed out as we return to Psalm 51. And if you're taking notes, the principle is this. Brokenness prepares for forgiveness. Please mark that down this morning. All of us need to grasp that very deeply. Brokenness is what prepares for forgiveness. Now, today, as we come back to a, a second message in Psalm 51, this great prayer of David in which he calls upon God for forgiveness in the midst of his great sin, we're going to look at the verses that talk about being broken and forgiven. Now, last week we saw the blessing of forgiveness. Today we see the blessing of brokenness. And we have one question. What does it mean for us to be broken? 
How do we know when that virtue has come into our lives? Would you take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 51? And I want to pick up now starting at verses 3 through 6. And David has wonderfully described the God who forgives us because of His grace, mercy, and love. And now he talks about the brokenness that is necessary for that forgiveness. Let me read for you these verses. Please follow along in your Bibles. David says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Let's bow together for prayer. God, how wonderful it is that out of your grace, love, and mercy, you forgive sinners like we are. And we know that your salvation, we know that your restoration and healing of us is a free gift of grace, mercy, and love. But Lord, though it is free, it is not cheap. And it requires in our hearts the same view of sin that you have. The same view of sin that caused your only perfect spotless Son to have to come to this earth to take our place that we might be freely forgiven by the gracious redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Teach us now today what it is that is precious in your sight as we as sinners come to you in Jesus' name. But we ask it for his great sake. Amen. As we look at what brokenness is, the first thing we have to understand is brokenness means to feel the sting of our sin. In verse 3, David says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. And this is where brokenness begins. It begins with the sting of our conscience over sin. Verse 3 is one of the most vivid and powerful workings, uh, descriptions of the working of conscience in the entire Bible. And what David is talking about here in this verse is really what it means to have a healthy conscience. Let me ask you today and, and myself, is this the way that my conscience works when I am guilty of sin? If it is, it is a very healthy thing, though along the way, it is a very painful thing. Let's notice how the conscience is supposed to work. First of all, a healthy conscience alerts us to our sin. When David says in verse 3 that his sin was ever before me, 
That little phrase, before me, means to be what is conspicuous, in front of, in the sight of. Mentally, it refers to something that is vividly present to our minds or to our hearts. So it is a perfect description of the conscience that alerts us to the presence of sin. I think one of the uh, best ways for us to understand a, a healthy conscience is it is like the nerve endings in our fingertips that are sensitive to pain. If we were to touch something that was hot, because of these sensitive nerve endings, immediately we withdraw our fingers because of the pain that would occur. And that's the way a healthy conscience is. Like those nerve endings, it pricks us, it stings us as we become aware of the sin in our life. Notice the second thing about a healthy conscience. A healthy conscience pesters us about sin. Do you know for a whole year, David covered up his sin and he tried to hide it. He evidently hardened his heart and rationalized what he, do, what he had done. By the way, aren't, aren't we good at doing that? Are we good at rationalizing and harding, hardening our hearts? But here he says that his conscience for that whole year would not let him alone. When he says, my sin is ever before me, the New Living Translation says, night and day. My sin is before me night and day. Uh, that expression was used of a night watchman who was always at his post. Uh, the, the Jews have a proverb that says this, A bad conscience is a snake in one's heart. If I had a snake in my heart, you know what that snake would do. It would strike. It would strike. It would strike and strike and strike, causing sharp pain. And when the conscience is healthy, no matter how we try to ignore it, it continues to hammer away at our hearts. Notice the third thing about a healthy conscience. A healthy conscience blames us for our sin. When David says here in verse 3, my sin is ever before me, that can have the idea of my sin is ever against me like an accusing witness. And so the conscience is like an eyewitness in our hearts that continues over and over again to accuse us about our sin. This past week I came across this great spelling of the word conscience. Isn't that a great way to spell the word conscience? Isn't that a wonderful drawing? That's what the conscience is. It is like an eyewitness within our hearts that will not allow us to rationalize or make excuses. If you happen to have the New American Standard Bible today, when David says, for I know my transgressions, you have a note in your Bible. And the note says that it can be read, I myself know my transgressions. In the Hebrew language, you do not need to add the personal pronoun I because it is in the verb form. 
When you do add the I separately to the verb, you are drawing special attention to yourself. The concept here really is this. David is saying, I, I myself confess my sin. So effective was David's conscience that he finally broke down and took total blame for what he had done. By the way, we know the conscience is working very well. When we are not rationalizing our sin, when we are not saying about somebody else, well, what about you did? But we are taking total blame for our part in whatever we did that is wrong. Now, look at all of this this morning. This is a little bit painful. It alerts us to sin. It pesters us day after day about our sin. It blames us. And all of this is to lead to a fourth characteristic of a healthy conscience. A healthy conscience restores you or restores us from sin. Hey, by the way, isn't this good news? Isn't this good news? Look at how painful this has been so far. But now we get here. You see, when our conscience alerts us, pesters us, blames us, we cannot take it anymore. We cannot bear it anymore. And then at that point, we hear God saying to us, Come on, come on, cry out. I confess my transgressions. I confess my transgressions. And it is at that point that God can do a wonderful work of forgiving, of restoring, and of healing. What a great process this is when God is working in our conscience. Do you know a man who apparently does not have a conscience like this? Is the home run king of Major League Baseball, Barry Bonds. Somebody said this morning when you said home run king, I thought of Hank Aaron because this person said to me, I don't think of Barry Bonds as the home run king. And the reason that he feels that way, and many feel that way, is Barry Bonds allegedly took steroids. And therefore, many of his home runs did not come as the result of hard work, but rather came as the result of illegal drugs. One day on national television, a group of reporters were uh, questioning Barry Bonds about his alleged use of steroids. And this is what he said to those reporters. He said, you all have dirt in your closets. He said, every one of you. He said, until you clean up the dirt in your closets, you don't have the right to ask me about the dirt in my closet. Brothers and sisters... That is the sign of a sick conscience. That is the sign of a conscience that says, because others have sinned, my sin is excusable. 
Because others have done wrong, I can do wrong as well. Because others are not accountable, that means I don't have to be accountable. And that is a sign of a, of a sick conscience. And a conscience like that will never lead us to the brokenness that is necessary for God to forgive, to heal, and to restore. It is only when we have a broken conscience that God is then ready to do His wonderful work. See, the first sign of brokenness is to feel the sting of our sin. Let's look at the second sign. The second sign is brokenness means to confess the seriousness of our sin. The seriousness of our sin. Look at verse 4. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now if we ask the question, why is sin so serious? David gives us two reasons here. Number one, in the opening part of verse 4, he says, Sir, sin turns us against God. And in the second part of verse 4, he says, Because sin turns us against God, sin turns God against us. That's always the way it works. Why is sin so serious? Well, sin turns us against God, and then sin turns God against us. David says about the Lord that you are justified in your words and you are blameless in your judgments. Once he admitted he was guilty, David said he knew that God had every right to judge him. What David is saying here is, Lord, I deserve whatever sentence you hand out to me. Do you know sin is so serious? It only has two alternatives. It is either forgiven or it will be judged. That's how serious sin is. There are only two possible alternatives. It is either forgiven by the Lord or we must be judged for that sin. By the way, have you ever read this verse and wondered how David could say to God, Against you, you only, have I sinned. Have you ever wondered that? What about all the others, right? I mean, he sinned against Uriah. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against the whole nation that he was king over. He sinned against his family. He sinned against himself. How can he come before God and say, I have only sinned against you because a whole lot of other people got hurt, right? And isn't that the point here? Isn't that the point? When we sin, other people get hurt, but it is God's laws that we break. You see, other people get hurt by our sin, but it is God's laws that we break. I want you to think about this with me this morning. The alcoholic hurts his family. 
but he sins against God. The robber cheats his neighbor, but he sins against God. The adulterer violates his spouse, but he sins against God. The gossip betrays her friend, but she sins against God. The disobedient hurt their parents, but they sin against God. The foul-mouthed offend their co-workers, but they sin against God. The old-time evangelist Vance Havner, at this point in Psalm 51, says this, David had a proper concept of sin. He regarded it as something against God first and foremost. That's what we are being told here. If we have a proper concept of sin, we understand that first and foremost, it is something against God. Do you know what the old-timers in church used to call this? They used to call it coming under conviction. That's what they would call it. Do you know that they would pray for people who came to church that they would come under conviction? That as they heard the glorious gospel of, of Jesus Christ and what He had done for sinners like us, that they would become convicted about their sin and they would be broken before the Lord and they would come to the cross of Jesus Christ wanting the mercy that only Jesus could provide. Do you know the old timers used to pray that Christians walking out of fellowship with God who were backslidden or in a pattern of disobedience that as they came to church they also would come under conviction and they would recognize that the God who has saved them and brought them into the family of God and forgiven all of their sins, that they would come under a sense of conviction that would break their hearts, that they are living in a wayward way from the God who has been so merciful towards them. And they would pray for the conviction of God's Holy Spirit in the lives of people. You see, that's what David is experiencing. He is experiencing a deep brokenness. I want you to notice his brokenness goes even deeper. Thirdly, in this psalm, we see that brokenness means to face the source of our sin. To face the source of our sin. Look how deep David goes. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now what David is saying here is not only has he sinned, but he is a sinner. This is one of the clearest statements in the Bible on the doctrine of original sin. When David says, in sin did my mother conceive me, he's talking about the first moment of pregnancy. He's talking about conception. David here is teaching us two things. Number one, life begins at conception. David was not pro-choice. David was pro-life. 
Note that being brought forth or born and conceived are parallel in this verse. David equates the two. He is saying he was a person at both times. When he was conceived in his mother's womb, he was a person. And when he was born from his mother's womb, he was a person. He was a person at both times. By the way, I have to stop here for just a moment. One of our political candidates just recently said, Unborn persons do not deserve the protection of the law. And she thought that she was pleasing her constituency, but they became angry because she described the unborn as a person. They know, don't they? We all know, don't we? By the way, I have to go one step further. We have the other leading political candidate who says it is okay for men to use the women's bathroom. Are we not in a mess in America today? Are we not in a mess? Do we not as a nation need to be broken? Do we not? Of course we do. Of course we do. What we need to understand here is that David is telling us that we do not become sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. David is saying he realized that it was not just the act that was wrong, but it is the very nature of our hearts that are wrong. And there is a huge difference between the two. You see, unless we feel that our very nature is corrupted, we will never seek a radical change. Unless in our heart of hearts we do not recognize the very well of our lives is polluted to the very core, we will never know how serious sin is. You see, David's brokenness went all the way to the very source of his sin. In the last century, there was a wonderful pastor by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He had a wonderful ministry at Westminster Chapel in London. In fact, many thought that Pastor Lloyd-Jones was perhaps the greatest preacher in the last century that God blessed us with. I want you to listen to what Pastor Lloyd-Jones had to say. Listen to his words. Present-day religion far too often soothes the conscience instead of awakening it and produces a sense of self-satisfaction and eternal safety rather than a sense of our unworthiness. By the way, as believers who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, do we not have eternal safety? All God's people said, Amen. But that will never come from a sense of self-satisfaction. 
That can only come when our conscience is awakened to our need and we throw ourselves on the mercy of Jesus Christ and what He has done for us that can cleanse our conscience from dead works and make us acceptable to a holy God. Brokenness is the only way that we will ever throw ourselves on the mercy of that loving Savior. Fourthly, Brokenness means to find the solution to your sin. The solution to your sin. By the way, how many of you can say, Amen, Pastor, we've got to this point. Amen, we've got to this point. Look at the wonderful climax to brokenness. Verse 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Now this is the climax to brokenness. This is what God wants to bring about. And notice two things. First of all, a heart that delights in truth. When brokenness has done its work and we are forgiven and restored and healed, we will have a heart that delights in truth. Notice the second climax. The second result is a heart that is taught the truth. David says, you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So the result of this cleansing and and this forgiving and this restoring is a, a heart that now delights in truth and a heart that is taught truth. By the way, only God can give that. David says here, this must happen in the inward being. The inward being is the heart. It's the conscience. It is the inner life. David here is talking about a, a cleansed conscience and a changed heart. And only God can give these to us. Only He can cleanse the conscience from our dead works. Only He can change the heart. And He does that when He forgives those who are broken. I want to ask you this morning if you agree with this statement. God truly forgives a repentant heart. Amen Amen for that. This was not said by a pastor. This was not said by a theologian. This was said by a man in Tennessee who was on his way to a promise keeper's rally in Indianapolis. I wonder how many men here today have attended at least one promise keeper's rally in our lives. How many many are here? Okay, Several, several of us. It's possible that none of us were going to this rally... I went, by the way, to the Silver Dome many years ago. It's possible that none of us, maybe some of us were, but none of us were going to this rally carrying what this man was carrying. He had every reason not to go because he knew God was going to deal with him. But he went anyway. 
And he is the man who said, God truly forgives a repentant heart. Let me read for you his story. I went to Promise Keepers in Indianapolis, he said, knowing God was going to deal with me in an area I had held on to for over a year. It's tragic to admit, but I had been unfaithful to my wife. Sure enough, God told me to tell her. I was frightened by the thought, yet I knew I had to tell her. When I arrived home, after trying to ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit, by the way, how good does that work? When I arrived home after trying to ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I acted upon God's promise and I told my wife. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do, but God has been faithful. My wife was very hurt and is still going through the process of healing. But she is committed to our marriage. God truly forgives a repentant heart. God honored my honesty. I had to be anchored in Him to survive the storm that followed. But if I wanted to reach the full potential that a godly marriage has to offer, I had to confess both to God and to my wife. And when that man reached that place of brokenness, that's when God did what only He can do. He forgave him. He cleansed him. He restored him. He's in the process of healing him. Drawing from him all the potential that God longs to draw. And God can do the same for you. He can do the same for me. The very brokenness that restored David, God can use in your life and in mine.